The following podcast is brought to you by the BICBP Radio Network. Welcome back to Cardboard Cave. Be sure to take your shoes off. Uh, we live in a cave, but we try to keep a keep appearances, you know, so people don't feel bad for us or or think we're, you know, wayward scamps. That's not a bad word, is it? Scamps? No, I don't think okay. so. Okay, we're just a couple of scamps living in a cave. <laughs> Hang your coat at the door. Uh, don't let the draft in. So we're here to talk about games again, because that's what we do. On our third episode, still finding our flow and our rhythm. I'm hearing an echo in this room. We're actually recording upstairs. I guess that's breaking the third wall. Recording upstairs of the cave, and I think it's your guitar hanging on the wall. It like captures my voice and echoes. It's really weird. Yeah. Well, this is the bigger room in the house, so it has I've always heard you should record in the biggest, most open room possible. Well, then we're in it. That's not true. You should record in a little booth, ideally. <laughs> That's all right. Um, we're here because we need to put out another episode. It's been a month, and whether it's quality or not, we just need to put something out. And so it's a little late, but our little man's in bed. Um, if you've not listened to the first two episodes, our little man is our six-month-old. Um, we don't actually have a little man that we put to bed. Uh, but he's upstairs asleep, and hopefully he'll stay that way. We have the monitor down here, so... If if one of us disappears, that's because we heard him crying on the monitor. But um, Anna, let's just hop into it. It's, okay. it's getting late, and I'm I'm feeling a little loopy. You made some sugar cookies for us. I'm not sure that's helping me. Um, sugar cookies always help. Speaking of sugar cookies, it's it's Christmas season. Yes. And uh, yes. we have a Christmas tree up here since we're in the upstairs room of the cave. And uh, we have uh, Tick Dried Nordic Country sit out right in front of us just because we were too lazy to put it up before we started recording. But it's not oh. such a bad game to look at <laughs> at Christmas. We had a really terrible game of, of Ticket to Ride Nordic Country. So let's just start with that. It's a, Well, it's a beautiful game. I'm just still feeling really defeated right now. Yeah. I lost hardcore. Yeah, it was, But I still love the game. We are not... I mean, it's it's kind of funny. Ticket to Ride was like the uh, sort of on the lighter end, but still like a, just a critical darling, and just everybody just loved it. And you had to get Ticket to Ride, and there's so many new versions for good reason. It's a fantastic design from Alan Moon. Um, I mean, he just streamlined some of his earlier designs and really knocked it out of the park. But it's begotten, begotten, it's begotten <laughs> so popular that it's kind of popular to hate on Ticket to Ride now if you're like a hardcore gamer. Kind of like, well, we used to all hate on Monopoly. <laughs> now Ticket to Ride has sort of joined Catan as another one where it's so popular that it's like popular to hate on it, which I think is ridiculous because yeah, it's a fantastic dumb. design. I love Ticket to Ride. I mean, most people still love it, but I've just noticed it's that. It's a great game. Um, but it's we're, very comforting. 
It's a very comforting game to play until you lose viciously, terribly, like I just did. That's what's weird about Ticket Ride. Literally, the reason I got this out, and and just to be clear, we played the Nordic Countries version. Excuse me. Um, We played the Nordic Countries version. Uh, The sugar cookies weren't such a good idea. Um, And it's basically the Christmas version of Ticket to Ride, but it only plays two to three players. So it's designed to be tight, even with just two or three players. And it accomplishes that very well. Um, but the reason I pulled it out is because I really wanted to play something else tonight. Uh, in fact, a game I'll mention shortly. But you're right, Ticket Ride is comforting because we've played at least the original so many times that we don't have to think about it too much. Each version adds like one little twist or two little twists. It's comforting because you don't have to think about it too much. But I swear, every time we play any version... It still ends up being a tense, even stressful game because that's just the way Ticket Ride is. It lures you in, and then you're like, oh, God, am I going to finish this ticket? Don't you dare put your trains there. I will smack you in the mouth if you put your trains there, Trevor. That's exactly what you're thinking. No, I say that out loud. Yeah, you do. Yeah. But, yeah, this game was just uh, – it was an odd one. Like, it's – I didn't even feel good afterwards because you had so many negative points – I didn't even feel good about it. Like, I felt like, I don't know, things just went so badly for you. Um, but that just happens sometimes. It's a rare game. Like, it's a rare game, I think, for us for Ticket Ride to go that badly. I still had fun until the very end when you were just, like, falling apart and and regretting life and regretting marrying me and, and threatening to run off with our son to some other country. I mean, up until that point, I enjoyed it. But anyways, Nordic Countries is a great... Great map for two or three players. If you still want that tension, but you only have, say, two players to play with, um, it's only slightly more complicated than the base Ticket to Ride, which is still the one I recommend for people who are new to the hobby. But it's it's just got a couple of wrinkles. It's not like the UK map or Rails and Sails or anything like that. It's just a couple of small wrinkles added to the base formula. The main difference is it's... Uh, well, first of all, it's a beautiful board. Most of them are. It's got snow-covered area. And the trains, it's uh, white, purple, and black. Uh, so it's, it's kind of unique colors. But yeah, I think it's a great game. Um, I don't think you're too discouraged because you actually wanted to play it again instead of recording this this podcast here. But I said, no, oh, yeah. the people demand it. Couples of people, being me, have, have demanded another episode of Cardboard Cave, so... Oh, he did the right thing then. Yeah. Uh, Thanksgiving passed recently, and we played a few games. By the way, we have a topic today, um, but before we get to that, let's talk about the few games we covered for Thanksgiving. Covered, played. Well, I, re- you, I re- Go ahead. You mentioned Rails and Sales already. That's okay. what we played at Thanksgiving. So let's start with that. I'll let you do most of the talking about how you felt about it or whatever, but I just want to say... Ticket to Ride Rails and Sales is the Ticket to Ride game that I've avoided. I've really just avoided it ever since it came out because a couple of prominent reviewers said it was the one Ticket to Ride game that they just didn't it didn't work for them. Um, they gave reasons. I'm like, oh, that's that's disappointing. Like I was really disappointed because I was looking forward to it because this was supposed to be the epic Ticket to Ride. You know, it added ships. Um, 
And Alan Moon has just done a great job with every single expansion, you know, every little new version. And this was the big one. And it was really disappointing, but the overall rating, if you go to Board Game Geek, is very solid for this one. It's very comparable to the, all the other ones. But I don't know. I guess I just listened to those couple of prominent voices, and I never played this one until um, your sister, Kelby, who said we need to name her by name on that's, this podcast. That's Kelby Day. Kelby Day. Let me give you her address. Mm-hmm. Um, no. <laughs> No, she called me out because I kept, I kept, what did I say? My sister-in-law, I can't remember what I called her. But, yeah. So there we go. There's your shout out. Uh, Millions of people will hear this and you'll be famous. But. That's right. Her guy will say, let's name him out. Kurt. Hey, Mm -hmm. Kurt. What's up? Kurt, who is awesome and. Also loves games. Also loves games. And dare I say. They always play with us. If I got commission. For converting people to new games, Kurt would be a great customer. Yeah, because he's 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 bought several games that I've I've uh, played with him, um, which is just very fulfilling for me because I think these games are great and I don't make any money off of them. But you know, it's good to uh, pass on something you enjoy. But he had Ticket to Ride Rails and Sales. Actually, I think Kelby got it for him. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to play it. And I certainly was not opposed to it because, hey, I get to play a ticket to ride that I actually don't own, which is weird because we own almost all of them. Um, Literally, we own all of them except for Germany, which basically is a reskin of Markland, which I do own. So (laughs) we're pretty much ticket to ride geeks. So it's like, yeah, sure. But it was new to us. It was new to a third player at the table. Um, And it was a five-player game. And I already heard one of the main problems with this version is it's so much longer than the regular Ticket to Ride. And I thought with five players, three of us new to this version, this is going to be rough. I honestly was thinking that. But I found that wasn't the case at all. But, but I'm going to shut up for a minute. Just you have any thoughts on it about the differences or just how you felt about it? Um, well, again, I think any version of Ticket to Ride is comforting to me. So we I, we should probably start with just Thanksgiving with my family because, like, for my family, Thanksgiving, we just hang out all day at my mom and dad's and play games and build Lego sets and do puzzles and everyone kind of does their own thing. Yeah. So, like you said, we played with five. It was me, you, Which Kurt, Max Kurt and Kelby, and my brother-in-law, Shannon. And we... uh. Yeah, going into it, you were really skeptical about it. I actually really appreciated the little bit of extra strategy that it that it um, throws in there with the harbors um, and with the boats that you can choose from, not just the trains, but the boats also. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the length of it. I felt like you had time to accomplish a lot. Um it may have just been chance that we weren't running into each other very much on the map. I, I think that that probably wouldn't happen every time that we would play yeah. with five players. But yeah. I think you just expect... That's regular Ticket to Ride, even. Yeah, you, I was about to say, you just expect that if you're playing Ticket to Ride, you're going to be blocked off at some point or have your plans disrupted. So, um, I, yeah, I, I think that what it adds is a little bit more meat to the game and some length, which I actually like. I like that it was a longer game. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It did. It did last a really long time with five of us playing, but not as long as I thought. Though I, I want to say it was. It, it wasn't tiring. I didn't. Thi- yeah. I didn't find it a tiring game. I don't know if we timed it, but I think it was ninety minutes. Probably ninety minutes plus a couple times we had to stop. I think for just yeah. for just stuff happening. Right. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I thought that would kill it for me. But I feel like that time was justified by that. what you said, the extra little nuggets of strategy. The game gives you more stuff to do, so you have more time to do it. So for me, it totally worked. Right. I was, I'll was. i be honest, I was stunned. Because I, I just feel like the reviewers who I listened to, which was really only a handful, but they were prominent reviewers, you know, who I you know appreciate usually what they do. And not I'm not saying they were being dishonest by any means. Just for me, they missed it with this one. Um, because I think it's just a good game, a ticket to ride, that is the ticket to ride you pull out on the weekend. You know, ticket to ride is great, because for me and you, Nordic countries, great example. We just finished a game in 30, 35 minutes, including setup time. Yeah. It's it's nothing to play that on a weeknight. Ticket to ride Rails and Sales is the game, the ticket to ride game you play on the weekend. That's, mm-hmm. that's the difference. But I think the extra time is justified by the amount of stuff it gives you to do. Now, I would never, and I don't want to give it a full review out now, because I think maybe we could cover it maybe on a future episode, but I'll put it this way. I liked it enough that I went ahead and ordered it within two days of playing it, because I'm like, why did I put off this Ticket to Ride when I have all the other ones? Because it's actually more different from regular Ticket to Ride than a lot of the ones I bought, really. And it's... It gives you that little something extra when when you're just playing with people who already know Ticket to Ride and are quote unquote gamers. There's nothing about this one that's too much. I would not play this one with people who I'm just trying to introduce to the hobby. Regular Ticket to Ride on the USA map is still the one I'll go for every time. I think for people who've just never played anything beyond you know Monopoly or Uno or something. But yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Anyways, I, I thought the harbors were fascinating. Um, I thought the two piles of cards, which I've heard negative things about, I actually really liked. I liked that you could draw from either pile of cards and you could replace them with either pile. So you could have like five trains out and only one ship out or vice versa, Um, which kind of screws other people over if they're really going for ships and you keep replacing it with trains or vice versa, you know. But um, And I'll admit, I won the game and I was really getting lucky and things were going my way. But I feel like I don't usually let that affect me too much on a game. Like, I think I'll still feel the same after another play. I hope so, because I bought it. Anyways, that's Ticket to Ride Rails and Sales. I liked it. I came in third place. Yeah. I still liked it. So, yeah, I think so. I would not recommend it for your first Ticket to Ride, but don't avoid it if you've been avoiding it and you love Ticket to Ride. I, I think that's nonsense. It's a great game. Um, Azul, we won't spend much time on this. Me and you got a two-player game of Azul in while I think Kelby and Kurt were working on the Lego set, the Lunar Lando. Lunar Lando? <laughs> the Lunar Lander Lego set that your parents got for us to all build on Thanksgiving, which is awesome. They were working on that. We played a quick game of Azul. Azul was great. We've talked about it. We reviewed it last episode. 15, 20 minutes, no time to set up, no time to tear down. It's just a game you got to have, I think, for those times. Um, I'm on a winning streak on that game, too. And again, you win most games. So you won that one, though, I think. I think you killed my winning streak. I'd, yeah. I win, <sighs> Never I mind. Um, Not Alone is another game we played with the whole group. Um, 
including your brother Zach, got in on that one. Mm -hmm. And Not Alone is a game I've got recently because, pro tip, Amazon has it cheap, and they still have it cheap, last I saw. We're talking less than 11 bucks. Not Alone, real quick, is a one versus all game where one person is the alien force and the everybody else is stranded on this planet. And it's basically a deduction game. You're playing place cards as the survivors and the monster alien is trying to figure out where you are. And if he places his monster token on the same place where you went that turn, then basically it's bad for the team. But there's lot, there's several wrinkles. There's cards that can be played that change things up. It's a real interesting game. It's real streamlined. It's real basic, but I like it for that. I like the pureness of it. Um, it has one. It features prominently one mechanic that I've learned over time. I despise in games, and this is one of the few games I played that gets away with it a little bit. But that is take that, and what I mean by take that is, oh here I'm going to do this because this is a good move for me right now. Oh no, I'm playing a card. You can't do that. Take that. You know. Oh, you thought you were going to go there and collect this resource? For Take that. I get the resource instead. You know, that kind of thing. I hate that in games. You know, now if you block me and take a drive, that's totally different. Or, you know, you take a resource I was really going for. But when it's just a card that there's no way I could have really done anything about it and it says, nope, this is happening instead. And it's a random surprise. It's a you random surprise. I hate like that. that. <laughs> and it's just a personal thing for me. It's not a bad mechanic per se. I don't like bad surprises. Uh, But it's okay in this game because it's not personal. It's the one person against everybody. So you're working as a team if you're the the survivors. So it's a little better than most games that have that. But that is still... It's a necessary part of this game. But that's still the only thing holding it back a little bit for me. But it's a cool game. What what are your thoughts? We played it several times now with, with the group. Well, I love... That it's kind of sci-fi themed. I love that it's about landing on a planet and all of the cards, the locations that you can go to, like the missions you can go on are thematic. Um, We and we had a lot of fun playing it in our with my family and just you know joking around about whoever was the monster and um, like. You know, well, we just got killed on that mission, or you know, we just kind of had fun with the theme of it as well. It feels well. like 1960 Star Trek. That's oh, yeah. what's going for. Yeah, for sure. And and it's, I, I think that was my favorite part of it. And I, I think sometimes, oh, this is what I was telling you that compared to a game like Saboteur or what, what's your technical term for a game like that, where like you're on different teams, hidden identity. Yeah, uh, or I would say like saboteur is um, well has a traitor element because you don't know who the saboteurs are. Yeah, there, um, there's a lot social of, deduction. I think is the word okay. people use, which I don't I don't consider this social deduction, but it's no. very much in that vein still. No, I'm I'm just saying there's other games we play where yeah, one resistance, or a saboteur. few people is trying to um, bang the dice get, game, get the other yeah, get yeah. the other group of people or whatever what i'm trying to say though is that with this game you decide ahead of time okay who is going to be the monster or the alien there's no secret and then who wants to be on the crew and work together yeah so if you're socially awkward like i can be 
or if you've never played a social game like this before, which whether you're social or not can mm-hmm. be daunting, you know, the first time you sit down yeah. to play a game like this, you can either just kind of, you can hang with it and, and go with the group and learn how to do it. It's not like you get a card and all of a sudden, oh, you have to play this role because you got the secret card dealt to you. Yeah. That you have, you know, and you get a role that you're not really comfortable with. No. So that's what I liked about it. Um, I I wasn't a very good monster. I did play it as the as the alien at one point. You were very kind. Or the alien. hunter. Yeah, <laughs> and I was a little bit too nice to be in yeah. that role. Kelby was really good as the alien. Oh, she loved just smacking us and around. And I think she liked that, that role. role. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's neat that you get to choose. And, and then it's fun just to work as a team cooperatively to try to get the rescue mm-hmm. ship to you in time. I think the interesting thing about it is it doesn't have... This might sound weird, but it doesn't have a bunch of unique roles. It's just you're either the monster and everybody knows who the monster is, or you're the survivors and the survivors are all equal at the start of the game. Yeah. The only thing that makes you different is you can explore new places, meaning basically you have new cards you can play to try to trick the monster, new places you can go to. And so I might be able to go to some places you can't go to and vice versa. But really it's all about I'm going to try to go to the lair this time because I don't think the monster will go there. And you can talk out loud. This is probably the cool twist. You can talk out loud to your teammates, but you have to say it out loud. So I can be like, let's say Kelby's the monster. I can be like, Anna, I'm definitely going to the beach this round. You do not need to go to the beach. And it's up to you to decipher what I'm trying to tell you there, but the monster's hearing all of it. And I can go to the beach and sacrifice myself, or maybe... Kelby doesn't go to the beach because she thinks I'm just being silly or whatever. So it's it's fun and clever that way. But I honestly, that might be the most interesting part of the game, and we have not figured that out yet. As the survivors, the cooperating people, we've not figured out how to communicate in any effective manner. But I think that could be the key to, to the survivors winning because it is a harder game for the survivors. You have to play well together, whereas the monster just has to do their best with themselves. It's the type of game that you you probably would get better at that depending on who you played it with and how many times you played it. Like, it really yeah. depends on who you're playing with. And then I feel like the more we played it, the more we started thinking about that part of the game. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's a cool game. I mean, it's ten fifty or something like that on Amazon in the U.S. right now. I mean, I think it retails for maybe 20 or 25 for For less than $15, it's a no-brainer. I would recommend this game if you're newer to the hobby even because the rules are pretty simple. I love how streamlined it is. And a lot of people have, uh, especially if you come from like the mass market games and you've not been in these hobby games very long, you might have a higher tolerance for take that cards, you know. And this game does it right. They're a good part of the game, but that's the only part that I don't love. And some people are going to love that part even. So this is going to be a knockout for a lot of people. I'll say I love the deduction part of it. I love the weird social part where you don't know if you should talk or not. I love that. The only part I don't love is the actual playing of the, the whatever they're called, the monster cards and the uh, survival cards. Uh, the, the special cards, basically. Yeah. But they can be cool, too. They can be thematic. It's just that aspect might have to grow on me or it might not. I'm not sure. But anyways, um, 
I think that's good for that. We also played uh, some key flower over the weekend, but I definitely want to do an episode on key flower eventually. For now, all I'll say is I, I'm, I'm becoming a little bit obsessed with this game, uh, key flower, which I guess is a, a twist on Mayflower because mm-hmm. your workers are coming over on the boat. Um, but I, I think I want to save that because it's a game I'm becoming obsessed with and it's a deep game. There's no way we can do any justice right now. I'll say I think it's going to be one of those games I've become more obsessed with than anyone else does. So I don't know if I'll find people to play with me enough. Um, I hope you do because nobody else... It's one of those games that if... I've played it 20 times and nobody else that I know has played it much. I should win every game because there's a lot going on in this game. There's a lot of strategy. There's a, there's quite a bit of luck, but I think it's luck you can plan for more mostly, which is actually makes it even deeper. Um but it's just got so many interesting things going on. So look forward to that in a future episode. That'll be a full episode, I think. Unless you had anything you want to say now. No, I just look forward to playing it again. I think we played it twice. And really, the first game's a learning game. The first game almost doesn't count. Like, it's just... You just can't know what you need to do the first game. It's not that complicated, but there's no way you can play well the first game. Uh, the second game was so much better. And I got to play it a third time, which was even better. But I played that actually with Kelby and Kurt, and you watched our child instead of doing the right thing and playing the game with us. <laughs> but So I hate that you Shame missed that me. game. But, uh, but yeah, so we'll talk about that later. So let's just get into the topic because, um, you know, I thought we'd struggle to fill this episode, but I think we'll fill it. You know, kind of like a landfill. It fills up with tires and and just trash eventually. But, sorry, I forget sometimes that I'm recording this but with this you. This is it. Retro bliss. Yeah, I'm so self-deprecating, but with you, I need to do better. I see what you're saying. So, let's get into our topic today. Luck in games. So, basically, I just come up with this idea. I'll be honest, it was because... Of a game, which I'll mention on my list. I have a little list here. Quacks of Quedlingburg. Which is a game that's just a hit right now. It's a knockout hit. It's uh, been hard to find. It's so popular. The Quacks of Quedlingburg, besides a funny name, is very much a bag-building, push-your-luck game. And when I say bag-building, basically it's like a deck-building game, like Dominion. Except it's a bag of chips instead. But there's also high risk and high rewards, so it's got this push-your-luck element. And we were playing with Kelby, and for some reason it's a game we played a bunch, and I keep winning it, which doesn't make any sense because it's a lot of luck. But for some reason there's something about this game that I keep winning it. And Kelby, who, like you, wins more than her fair share of games, I believe, has done epically bad. And I think you both were coming out on the side of, well, you're just having bad luck. And it got me thinking, well, can it be luck if the results keep happening over and over again? And this is sounding really arrogant. I don't mean it to sound that way. Truly, sure. I don't win most games. But I keep winning this one. And Kelby keeps doing uncharacteristically bad for her. And so it got me thinking, well, what is it about luck in games? And when is it bad? When is it good? When is it what you perceive? And when is it just truly pure luck? Um... And it just sent me down a rabbit hole. And I like rabbit holes. So, basically, 
I have some games here, and I'm going to kind of compare the luck in them, and you just react because you've not seen this ahead of time. Uh, I don't want to be talking the whole time, so if you can just react. But for me... I'm already highly offended by the the landfill remark and the the arrogance in your tone. So That's a great place to start. I'm probably going to react negatively. It's a great place to start. Um, (laughs) You threw me off. No, no, I did. Good, good job. (laughs) So for me, basically what it comes down to, luck in games, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing for me, comes down to the length and the complexity of the game. If a game is super quick and short and punchy, luck is not a bad thing at all. In fact, it can be a blast. But if the game is long and expects you to keep up with these complex systems, too much luck can be a true detriment. And it's it's something I don't really know until I play it. And I've got some examples here, but that's kind of how I say it for me. It's luck in itself is not good or bad. It's just what game is it in? Um, do you have a overall opinion on luck, or do you agree with that? Or oh, I like to be in control. I like yeah. the more the more I'm in control in a game, the more I enjoy it. And I don't mind there being elements of luck, like you know, you you can draw different things, but what you do with it is, um, you know, if if that's in your control, well, I like that because I mean, at most games even. Even high strategy games have a small element of luck. Yeah. But, and that's fine. And I'm not saying I don't like games that have a lot of luck, but as far as like truly digging in and enjoying You do like to be in control. I really like to be in control. If you have a plan, you like to see it come through, which I get. Yes. But, I don't, I'm not going to talk about chess on my list, but chess is a luckless game. I'm not interested in playing chess. I mean, I, I've never played it. It's interesting. So no it's interesting, know. but, well, I guess this is a moot question then. My question is, do you think games with absolutely zero luck you would necessarily enjoy more? Yeah, probably. I feel like I feel like every time you pull out a game, the less luck. What's what's the game, the first train? First train to Nuremberg. Nuremberg. That's the one I always think of because yeah, it has very little luck. so little luck, and I really like that game. But like if if going to Quacks of Quinlanburg, it's really fun. I have fun with a game like that. Um, it's really fun to have a good round and pull out what you need, which I know you're saying. And it's not all luck. You do build build your bag, but it, it doesn't matter how much you build your bag. You could still pull out your five bad yeah. little tokens and just ruin your round. But but yeah, I still enjoy well, I enjoy games like that too. But as far as one end or the other, I'm on the strategy yeah. end more than the luck end. I mean, if I'm being honest, I am too. But I think luck is one of those tools that can be in a developer's tool bag. That can be used as a tool and as an asset or can just be lazy. Um, so i got some games, and we won't talk too much more because that's one of the games we're going to talk about. Um but I think the hallmark, the difference, if somebody asks me, what's the biggest difference between what you, what I'm into now, what we're into, hobby games, mm-hmm. Euro games, strategy games, modern games, whatever you want to call them. They've been called everything now. What's the biggest difference between those games and the mass market games from our youth? You know, the Monopolies and Uno and Risk and Aggravation, Trivial Pursuit, whatever. What's the biggest difference? And there's a lot of things that can be said 
But the more I think about it, I think the biggest difference is how they use luck. Luck has been such a chance. Randomness is such a huge aspect of your classic mass market games, except for like chess and checkers. It's a huge aspect. Um, And we're going to talk about some. And that doesn't make them bad, but even if the game is, say, three hours long, these older designs weren't scared to leave a lot up to chance. Where now, I think the biggest difference is your heavier games, modern gamers expect to have more control. And the heavier the game, the more control we expect to have. I think that is the hallmark of a modern game design. So I'm just going to pull out some comparisons here. Uh, And first, I want to start with two titans. Sort of the titans of the industry, you could say. Uh, Monopoly, which is by far the most popular board game of all time. I mean, I can't remember how many it sold, but it's, it's a number that no hobby game will ever reach. But I want to compare Monopoly versus Ticket to Ride, which is one of the titans of the hobby game industry, which has been wildly successful, sold millions of copies, um, which is almost unheard of in, in the hobby game industry. So Monopoly, according to Board Game Geek, has a playtime of one to three hours. One to three hours for Monopoly, and that's probably based on number of players. Oh, kill me now. <laughs> We know your opinion on Monopoly, but I think one to three hours is probably fair if you're playing by the correct rules and not all these house rules everybody adds in. Um, but that's a pretty big range, one to three hours. Ticket to Ride is listed at 30 to 60 minutes. Now, if you've got four or five players who are new to the game, it could stretch over an hour, but Monopoly can definitely stretch over three hours as well. But we can definitely play a two-player game of Ticket to Ride in 30 minutes and a four-player game can easily be over in 60 minutes if everyone's played before. Easily. And what you have here is in Monopoly, so much of the control is out of your hands in a game that takes several times as long as Ticket to Ride. Whereas Ticket to Ride has a lot of chance, but it puts the control in your hands more. For example, Monopoly, the biggest luck element is the roll of the dice. And the dice decide what properties you have to land on And as far as I remember, it's been a long time since I played any version of Monopoly, if I'm being honest, but you pretty much, it's just bad landing on other people's properties. You just have to pay them. You never want to do that, that I remember. Um, And landing on the properties you want to purchase is good. And from what I know, at least in the basic version of Monopoly, there's no way to mitigate those die rolls. If you roll six, you're moving six spaces, good or bad. Nothing you can do about it. And then you got the chance cards that add even more randomness that aren't really predictable because they may or may not even come out during a given game. Um, whereas you compare that to Ticket to Ride, the only luck factor, the only random factor is the card draws. And you can spend a long time in Ticket to Ride drawing cards you don't want. But the key difference is you have a choice. Most of the time, you don't have to keep drawing off that blind deck. You can take what is face up and known, or we can draw off the blind deck, or you can just hold off for a while and play some trains down and come back later to the deck when maybe it's more favorable. Or you can say forget it and just draw new destination tickets and hope you get lucky and forget the one you can't finish. There's certainly luck, and it can decide a game between players who are you know roughly equal otherwise. But 
there's still that choice. That's the key difference is the choice. And the cards themselves in Ticket to Ride are a resource. So you might draw four green cards you're not, and not wanting green at all. But later in the game, you may be able to use those green cards for points. Whereas in Monopoly, a bad die roll is a bad die roll is a bad die roll. There's really nothing you can do about it. Um, any any thoughts on that? I mean, I know you just can't stand Monopoly, but what do well, you think? Well, it's just been too way too long since I played Monopoly. Me too, to be fair. And yeah. I probably did not play correct rules, and it did take three hours to play. And I just tried to block it from my memory. I, I think yeah. the key word there is decisions, though. You know, like... Right. You, um, you were talking about the way that a game uses luck. And, you know, Monopoly definitely doesn't. It just, like, I don't know. It has the makings of, of some sort of... Of there being some type of game there that's enjoyable. But then <laughs> it's it not just, something I've ever heard you say about Monopoly. It just falls short. By the way, Johnny, if you're listening, <laughs> the opinions of Anna don't necessarily reflect the opinions of the Cardboard Cave. Well, I just again I haven't played it in years, and last time it took three hours, and I hated it. Nah, Johnny. Johnny has been wanting to play Monopoly for years, and shame on me for not making it happen. Because if I'm being honest, I don't know when the last time I truly played a game of actual Monopoly was. And I should give it another chance. We'll play it next time he comes over. Yeah. I'll play it. I'll do it. I do have Zelda Monopoly because I love Zelda. I was a little disappointed with it when I opened it up because, hey, at the end of the day, it's not a hobby-quality board game. Johnny, we but will still play Zelda Monopoly. Monopoly. But, yeah, the thing is, I think... Uh, like, say, the destination tickets and Ticket to Ride, which can be very lucky. You can draw tickets that are already completed, which is awesome. Or we stuck with one you have no chance of completing. But you know that risk and reward going in. Again, that's different than the die roll Monopoly, where you have to roll a die. It's not like you have a choice. Um, also, the luck in Monopoly can prolong the game, because if somebody should be going bankrupt, and maybe they get some luck going their way, it can prolong the game. And Ticket to Ride, it doesn't really prolong the game, Plus, the turns are so quick in Ticket to Ride. Um, again, it's just the number of meaningful decisions per hour of gameplay. And that's where Ticket to Ride, even with all of its luck factors, for me, is a true modern design compared to Monopoly. Um, the, Can I just go on a rabbit trail? Sure. Real quick. Do you know the book or the movie, The Indian in the Cupboard? Yeah. Where um, he put his little Indian inside the magical cupboard and it came to life. His little Native and American, he, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his little Trying Native. Trying to keep his PC. His little Native American. <laughs> it's called Indian in the cupboard. I know it is, yeah. Different time. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so politically <laughs> right, correct. Go ahead. And then he put the cowboy in it. Why did that kid never, ever put his Monopoly money in that cupboard? I really want to know why. That would have been the smartest thing to Oh, do. because it came real? Yeah. No, that's Everything became real. So you're a smart kid. Well, every time I think... Well, we... I probably am saying that because instead of playing Monopoly correctly, we pulled all the money out and put it... And uh-huh. used it as play money. Um, which is probably what just, our son will do to my good games, which uh, terrifies me probably. a little bit. 
Yeah, I'll I'll just let them have free, <sighs> free run of the game room. Anyway, that'll be the end saying, of our marriage right there. Just saying, if I had a magic cupboard, I would put me some Monopoly money in there. That's uh well, thank you for that insight. I You're welcome. appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> now I would buy every Monopoly at Walmart. And if that's what we I could turn into real money. Yeah, that's what I think of scheme. Monopoly. That's well, that's, that's awesome. That's the good it is to me. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, controversy, Uno versus Colorado. Uno probably doesn't need any introduction. It's a game where you have a hand of cards. You're trying to get rid of cards. And it's been forever since I played it, but we played it quite a bit as kids. You have colored cards and numbers and wild cards. Take that cards that just make other people draw for or draw to or whatever. Trying to get rid of your cards. Simple. 99% luck and a decision every now and then. Compared to Colorado, which is a game that... Was a, when I got into to these hobby games, was a pretty big deal. Now I don't know if people even know what it is, but it's a, a chameleon themed game uh, with different colors of chameleons on cards, um, and you're trying to collect colors of cards like green, pink, yellow, orange, black, whatever. The trick is you only want to collect three colors. You want to have as many of three different colors as possible, but all the extra colors become bad to you once you've picked your three colors, basically. The difference here is both games are super simple, super quick. Both have plenty of luck. They're literally both games where you're just drawing cards and playing cards, basically. The difference is, and what changes everything, uh, Colorado gives you a simple choice. Do you want to draw another card? Or do you want to take a row of cards that have already been played? And that choice makes it from a mindless exercise... Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed Uno as a kid, but it's basically a mindless exercise. It takes it from that to a game with tense, tiny, but tense little decisions. Um, Just, do you hold out? Do you hold out for something better? But what if you take that row I was wanting, and then I get stuck with junk? And there's still the luck and the random card draws, but there's that decision that is missing from Uno and other games like that. Um... And I, you've not played Colorado that much, and I don't think it's your favorite. But I think it's a brilliant little card game. So I'm just going to go and recommend that, if it's even still in print, honestly. Um, but that's all it takes for me. I mean, if you're talking about a 15 to 30-minute card game, all it takes is a little decision, a little choice. And I don't mind the luck factor at all. But like Uno, to me, is almost more of an exercise than a game. Because what choices do you really have? If you have the card, if you have the color, you play it. If you have a draw four card, you play it and stick it to the next person. <laughs> I mean, that's just how it works. Um, and I think if more people would play games like Colorado, it would make them start thinking, huh, a simple little deck of cards can really do some cool things. Um, any comments at all? I know you probably don't have much thoughts about either game. but No, I mean, I have, I have thoughts on the overall topic, but... I mean, we can go on. Uh, the next one is Yahtzee versus Can't Stop. And I threw Ink and Golden here as well. Yahtzee's a game that I I just like rolling dice. So I would play Yahtzee if somebody asked me to play it. I'm not here to bash Yahtzee. Yeah, Yahtzee's fun. Um, but Can't Stop and Ink and Gold. I compare these just because those are all three games that use luck. They use chance as the driving force. Um, like what I was saying earlier, that I don't think luck is bad in games, necessarily, 
because these games are really all chance, but they use it in different ways. Uh, for example, Can't Stop is all about pushing your luck. You could win the game in a single turn. I don't know if anyone's ever done it, but you could do it. And just knowing that fact makes you want to keep going. You can't stop like the name implies. So yes, it's luck because you're rolling the dice randomly, but there's odds in there. There's the knowledge every turn that you could bust, and it just makes it feel totally different. Um, Ink and Gold is kind of the same. There's no dice at all. It's just cards. But you know the odds roughly, and you know the longer you stick it out, the better the payout will be. So it adds the social aspect into it too. So it's just interesting how a simple mechanic can make luck feel so different. Yeah, That's my point with these three. A decision. Right. And then um, I kind of lumped deck building games versus a bag building game like Quacks of Quedlingburg just because this is what got me thinking about this. Dominion was the granddaddy of deck building games. And Trains is one that we absolutely love. In fact, mm-hmm. I want to get that out now. I love that game. Yeah, it's a great game. Trains is basically Dominion, but it adds the strategy of pick up and deliver and route building on a board, on a map. Um, I think the difference here is with the deck building games like Dominion, if you have a bad turn, you just don't get a lot done. He's like, well, maybe I'll have a better turn next time. With Quacks of Quedlingburg, you're still building up your deck, so to speak, except you're adding chips to a bag. But I think the difference is the stakes are higher. There's still roughly the same amount of chance and luck because you're just drawing out of a bag instead of drawing from a deck. But you don't just have a bad turn. You kind of you can kind of have a, a whole bad round if you, okay, if you push it too there far. There it is. So I, I think here's the difference I was thinking with a deck builder like Dominion and Quacks of Quinlanburg with a deck builder the turnover is much faster. So if you draw up a terrible hand, you you put it down almost immediately and get a new yeah. hand. And you do that several, several times through the game. It's not I don't think either of those games are based on rounds and the game is over. Like those yeah. are more based on when the this deck of cards is gone or this is accomplished. With Quacks of Quinlanburg, if you you only get what, eight rounds? You, you you go and you I think it's eight, yeah. You get out get out of your bag eight times. Um the tokens so there's not as much time to build up your bag and actually mm-hmm. use what you've been working you know, what you've been putting yeah. in there. You know that the game is gonna end. So it's kind of you know, if if five out of eight and I've had some games like that where five out of eight draws were pretty terrible. Um Oh yeah then, you know, that's kind of your whole game. But with a deck builder, just the turnover's faster. Like, you're not not sitting there with your whole round gone. It's like, oh, well, that that wasn't great. You know, it's it's still not a good turn, but you have a lot more of them. You have a lot more turns, if that makes sense. I think that makes the strategy so different. Because not to review Quacks of Quedlingburg, but I know what Kelby was doing. And she was getting frustrated. I know the feeling because there's games I played before. Like I know this is a good game, but I feel like I'm epically bad at it, and I don't know why. I think the key to Quacks is to know that no matter how bad. Now, if you have five rounds out of eight that are just epically bad draws, you're not going to win the game. Just accept it. It'll be over in twenty, thirty minutes. <laughs> it is what it is, you know. Um, 
But if you have a bad round, even if it's epically bad, you just got to remember the chances are roughly the same for everybody. The person next to you might have an epically bad round next time, and you might have an amazing round. The key is not to go crazy and just lose it, thinking, well, I've just got to push it like crazy now. Now, you might have to at the end, don't get me wrong. There comes a point when you might just have to push it like crazy. But in those early rounds, I think the key, and this is what I'm getting at, it's a lot of luck. I would say Quacks is more luck than most games I would play. It's right at that edge because it takes, I don't know, 30 to 45 minutes. It's right at the edge of the amount of luck I'm willing to accept in a game of its length and rules complexity because it's a little deeper than than some games that have a lot of luck. But the, the thing is, in those early rounds, even if you bust, you're only giving up a point or two. You've got to buy the better chips. You've got to make your bag better. You've got to make your bag better, or your rounds are going to keep going badly. Because the weird thing about Quacks of Quedlinburg is the odds are so stacked against you at the start of the game. What is it like? Six out of eight chips are bad. Mm-hmm. There's only two good ones. Mm-hmm. So the odds are so stacked against you at the start of the game, you've got to make your bag better. And you've got to remember, even if your first two rounds are terrible and you score no points, at least you're adding a chip or two to the bag, hopefully. Because um, the way it's set up, you will make some money, which is, if you played Dominion, you use your money, your gold, to buy cards. It's the same idea. You use your progress on this potion track to buy new chips. You've got to do that because you might have some epically lucky turns later if you've got the good chips in the bag. But, so, I I think that's just a strategy to the game is you can't give up those chips early in the game for a couple of points. And you've got to remember... Like Kelby, I, I I love playing with her. I hate that she got so frustrated because it's like, I wonder when Kelby's going to explode. <laughs> like, it wasn't if she's going to explode. Because she, I never would have took her for this kind of player, but I, it must be something about the way this game plays. She explodes every time. Like, she's like, oh, I exploded again. I exploded again. And I think it's just this mentality of kind of how I can be and can't stop. Like, I could stop now, but I feel like I'm going to be behind if I stop now. You know, that that just a little more than I'll be good. And yeah. I don't, that's what I love about it. That's but the essence of a can't-stop game. That Yeah, that's what I love about it. But you do actually have to know when to stop. And I think it's just a gut feeling, which is kind of a weird idea for a game, I guess. But you also know what's in your bag. It's not totally blindless. But anyways, that's enough about that. Um but I, that that just really interested me, like how people can perceive what luck is doing to them. When we all have the same luck going in, you know, chance is chance. And if results keep repeating, then there's something going on there besides chance, but what is it? I don't know if it's really a strategy, but there's something. And uh, I don't know, I find that fascinating. But I might play Quacks of Quellingberg ten more times and just have epically bad luck and just be done with it we'll keep y'all updated but, if we yeah. play this game again I want to re- if I, Kelby will ever ever yeah. play it again with us I won't review it I'll let you know when Trevor busts if he does yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll bust plenty but yeah I don't know it, it kind of got me a little heated because you were both kind of railing oh it's just all luck I'm like hey wait a minute here's a game that I've won more times and you're saying it's all luck, so I guess I kind of got defensive. Oh, no. But then I, uh, then I come off of it and thought, well, what is it about it that makes it feel that way when you're the one getting railed, you know? Right, 
Right. No, I I agree that you are, you know, how you build your bag definitely has an effect on, and no, and stopping, knowing when to stop. Yeah. And and then, I, but I do think there's a big element of just having, you know, a terrible game or a terrible round yeah. too. So, cause, because for me, I've, I've won a couple of games and I've lost a couple of games with that one. So, it's kind of, yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, the last one I have here is a risk. Risk? How did I say that? I said that weird. Risk is a game Seven. that I think most people know. Um, it's uh, a war game with lots of dice. And I think what I always heard about this game growing up is it takes forever to play. You know, whether that's fair or not, that's just always the thing. It's a game with certainly some strategy, but also a ton of luck. A ton of just, well, you just got beat up and there's nothing you can do about it. But also some stand-up die rolls and fun because of that. Uh, And the game I'm comparing that to is 1775 Rebellion, which is a modern war-type, war-themed game. Some people get offended when you call a game a war game because that's like its own genre. But it's a war-themed game. Um with very streamlined rules. I would say if you can play Risk, you could learn to play 1775 Rebellion. Um, The difference here, I didn't write down the time, but but 1775 takes roughly half or less the time of Risk. And yet there's just constant decisions to be made, yet it still has those elements of the unknown with those die rolls where you can just stand up and holler. Um... And here, not to rehash what we've been saying, but I think it comes down to, once again, the number of decisions you get to make per hour of gameplay in 1775 is just through the roof compared to Risk. And that's why it's a much better game for me. I've never played Risk. My dad really likes that game. But seventeen, all I can say is 1775. I highly recommend it. It's, it's it, a great game. Well, it has a lot of history. So, to me, it's a great learning game. It has a lot of geography. Um, it's great. It's a great game, and and it, and it just plays well. It plays smoothly. It's been a really long time since we played it. We need to play it again. I think we only played it one time. Really? Yeah. Well, I played when it we, with the guys. I think I played uh, it at least three moved. times. Maybe it was just one time with you though. Well, maybe I've only played it twice, but they were both great games. Because uh, the cool thing about the game is you can play one on one, or you can play where like the British and Loyalists are on a team versus, uh, I can't remember what the, what they named them exactly, but basically the the Rebels. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you can play with two, three, or four players, and it's just very, yeah, very thematic, very tight. And it kind of, it versus risk, I think, is just a great example of how far gaming has progressed. And not to make fun of the classics. I mean, I'm glad they're there. I doubt 1775 would exist without risk. But it's like taking a... um, What's a good example? I hate to use video games as an example because I actually kind of prefer the retro video games. I prefer the retro video games, but the modern board games. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, like uh, an automobile... And some of the things might be better about the old ones, but, you know, a lot of things just advance. You know, we no longer have to get 12 miles per gallon. You know, we now have 
safety features that you wouldn't want to give up. Air conditioning, you know, there's some things you just can't really go back once you've experienced them, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, that's a bad example because I really prefer old things. <laughs> I prefer old, simple things. Board games are the one area where I just think they've improved so much in the last 20, 25 years that I really can't go back now. And luck and the way luck is used is just one of those areas that um, I think defines the hobby now. And so the bottom line for me is it's not really that luck is a good or a bad thing in games. It's how it's used in the game and how it's perceived by the players. Um, how you perceive it is really going to decide if it's a bad or a good thing in any game from Monopoly to 1775 Rebellion. Closing thoughts, comments? Well, for me, it boils down to this. I, when I was a teacher, I taught I taught using games a lot. Um, and I taught mostly younger grades, so I was having to teach them to be good winners and losers in addition to, you know, teaching them the content and teaching them how to play a game. But a lot of the games I used were things like Uno or War or Dice Rolling. Mm-hmm. And without fail, or even a even a uh, what's it called a roll and move game, or a, yeah, like Monopoly, move, yeah. like Monopoly. But basically, it came down to I was wanting them to solve math problems or to to read, you know, to practice their reading um, when they were playing these games. But at the end of the day, it still came down to luck so I would have to explain to these six-year-olds or five-year-olds or you know you I had to explain to them you could win this game or you could lose this game and it really didn't have anything to do with how well they did the math problems or how well they played because there were no decisions to make in the actual game part itself does that make sense like I don't know and it was hard to explain to them because you know, they could just have a bad roll or they could have a... So it didn't really mean much. Yeah, so so I was having to explain to him, now, it doesn't matter what you do, you could still lose this game or you could win it. You know, it yeah. just doesn't... Because I was trying to teach him to have a good attitude either way it went. So really modern games would teach that lesson a lot better. Oh, because yeah. Because decisions would mean well, something. Well, it, dri- it, it would drive them more to learn because they would want to do the math. They would mm-hmm. want to... They would want to... Does that make sense? Like yeah. the de- Just the, the decision piece of it would have made those games, uh, you know, a little... It would have just... Uh, not, and they still loved them, but it would have upped the ante a little bit. And it wouldn't have mm-hmm. been so hard to explain. Like, yeah, if you do 10 math problems in a row correctly and make these decisions, then you could win the game. Not yeah. just, you know, luck of the draw or luck of your, the roll or whatever. That makes me want to revise my... Earlier I said the difference between classic games and modern games is how luck is used. What you just said makes me want to revise my answer. It's how decisions are made. Right. It, that's what That defines the game for me. And I forgive the classic games. Like I mean, Monopoly was made in the 30s, I think, and has changed the landscape of gaming forever. I love me some Clue. Um, I do. I think Clue is still a fun game, mm-hmm. even with the roll and move, which can ruin you even if you're the best deducer, if that's a word. Yeah. Um, but with modern games, like by Hasbro and stuff that are coming out, I almost can't forgive the lack of decision-making because gaming is a progress, and, and they should know this. Uh, and I can get really heated about that. 
And I wanted to close this, but instead I'm getting heated, and it's getting late, so I'm going to get more heated. But to me, a game is almost not even a game if you don't have some decision to make. And that includes kids' games, and what you were saying made me think about that. I love it when board game publishers and designers respect kids enough to let them make some decisions. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Animal upon animal. It's the, my brother bought his daughter this game recently. She's only two and... How many months old? I don't old? know that she's two and a half yet. Anyway, yeah, so two, two years half. old. Um, isn't really shouldn't be able to form any like strategy for any kind of game or anything. She's just figuring out how the world works, you know. But even a game like Animal Upon Animal, where you're literally stacking animals, there's a decision of, wait a minute, if I put this here, that might work out better. You know, the, the alligator has this shape to it, so maybe it'll work better on the bottom, you know, or something like that. As she plays the game more, she'll start making these decisions about space and spatial elements and the weight of the wood. And yet we still have games coming out where, like, roll the dice, move, you don't get to make any decisions. Roll the dice, move, draw this card, make no decisions. Well, and also a great example is um, I just had some little girls over that we go to church with, and surprisingly, I thought they would want to watch something, and the first thing they asked was to play a board game, which was nice. That is and, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, well, yeah, we can do that around here. I'm glad here. we have we a have... reputation. Yeah, and so I pulled out the Ticket to Ride First Journey, which is um, designed for kids, yeah. and it's just a very pared-down, simplified version of Ticket to Ride, but the first thing you have to decide is, okay, am I going to draw cards or am I going to play trains? Am I going to draw cards or am I going to play trains? And it's Mm -hmm. very simple, but even, you know, the youngest was six and the oldest was 10. Mm -hmm. And they caught onto it really quickly Mm -hmm. and enjoyed it. I I mean, I think that the more they played it, they could have improved their game and and learned to get better at it the more they played it. but yeah, and the decisions are simple, but very huge impact on how they are playing the game and so you, yeah, you winning got, or losing. You got a game that a six year old can play, but I played Ticket to Ride First Journey, and it's a fun little fifteen minute game. Oh, I enjoyed playing game. it with them. I yeah. wasn't bored playing it with them. So when you got a game that can entertain an adult, but gives a six year old decisions to make that they can handle, mm-hmm. to me, there's no excuse in. And not to step on anybody's toes if you love love these games, but I mean Hasbro's the worst now, like Pie Face and Don't Step in the Poop and <laughs> I swear they have like six games about poop. I mean not not to sound like Mr. Rogers, I would love to sound like Mr. Rogers, who am I kidding? <laughs> but I think he would say kids deserve to be given a little respect to make decisions. And I guess this we gotten off topic, but not really, but yeah, so I would love when a children, a child's game respects them enough to give them some decision to make. I don't expect Miles, our son, to be able to play Agricola when he's five years old. But I can't I, play Agricola, and I'm sorry, too. You can. You just don't like the fact that you don't get to have a, a perfect little farm. you got to yeah. starve your people. I just want to make a pretty one farm, cow. and the game won't let me. punishes yeah. me every time. That game is punishment. I love it, though. But yeah, so, but I think I'd rather him play a game where he gets to decide, 
no, I don't think I want to draw a card this turn. I want to do something else. And even if he doesn't know why at first, he's using his brain instead of, hey, I want to hit Daddy in the face with a pie, which, you know, I'm not saying he can't do that sometimes, but, yeah. I think Mr. Rogers would be proud of a board game hobby, and I'm going to say that to make myself feel better about the ridiculous amounts of time and money I spend on it. (laughs) There you go. Which he would probably not agree with that part of it. But I think we're getting loopy. I am. Do you have anything else to say? Just that we're major nerds. Because I'm I'm sitting here and we've got our game set up in front of Uh us. The podcast microphone is propped up on my copies of Sherlock Holmes and The Wizard of Oz. Mm Mm-hmm. And it just looks really nerdy. And our Christmas and tree the has bookshelves are yeah the Christmas just tree my has... ornaments. I'm a special kind of nerd, not even like the cool nerd that you know is kind of in vogue right now. Like I wouldn't even fit in on like Stranger Things as one of those kids because I've got okay, I've got a on the Christmas tree. I got an ornament that's the Donkey Kong arcade machine. I got a Link from Legend of Zelda. You know, okay, those go together, video games. Then I have trains. <laughs> Just random locomotives. Because, you know, being nerdy about video games isn't enough. You have to throw trains in there. And then I think we got some, like, uh, NASA mice because space is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not, that one, I love that one. We're like distracted way. nerds or something. I don't know. Just all over the place. Lord have mercy. Um, But you know what's not all over the place is this podcast. So you can help us with that. Just like that transition. Mm-hmm. Tell your friends about it. Tell them it's better than it really is because one day it will be better. I think we're going to keep improving. Uh, please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star iTunes review. I know we've not earned it yet, but again, I think we'll improve a little bit every episode with your help. If you leave us a five-star iTunes review, it simply makes iTunes promote us more like if people search for a game our result our show will show up closer to the top it really helps us out even if you don't use itunes or apple podcast if you have an itunes account or don't mind creating one even it really helps a lot um we have a facebook group and an instagram page just search for cardboard cave um oh that reminds me um hope I can uh, find this pretty quick. I asked for feedback, and uh, our pages are just getting started, so we didn't get much. But we did get one comment, and so I need to leave it. On our Instagram page, I asked people what their thoughts were on luck and games. And it must have been on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Say something funny, Anna. (laughs) Sorry. That works with Johnny. That's what you get. I know. I'm so sorry. I'm kidding. I'm not thinking to your yang like that. So yeah, head to Facebook and look <laughs> for Cardboard Cave. And on there we got a comment from Michael Thompson. Uh, Michael Thompson says, uh, his number one tabletop love is Blood Bowl. It's a hybrid board game, campaign, RPG, a football, in a magical fantasy setting. Honey, I think that game is for oh, you. Oh, my lands. Talk about talk about a nerd, Michael what Thompson. A, what a mix up of stuff! There. I think we should hang out. Even Holy cow! You're in Australia, so that could be tricky. He says much of the strategy is in positioning and movement. Uh, blah 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 blah. But of course, there's a lot of dice rolling. Good players will be minimizing the need to roll the dice while maximizing the dice required of their opponent. 
Um, so basically, it's still that decision. Like you're controlling the luck, and that is awesome. Again, luck can be such a fun part of a game. It's how the game uses it. And then he says to address the original question, he's good with the random element. When I play games with the same circle of friends, games that rely more strategy than chance tend to have one player dominate. The dice are a good leveler. And that's very true. Um, as a, uh, I guess, an argument for that, I'll never forget. Like, okay, so Ticket to Ride. Me and you have played it more than most people we play it with, but I feel like they usually still have a chance of winning. Oh, yeah. At least once they know how the game works. It's not like we're going to dominate all over them. Because there's enough chance and randomness to make it fun for everybody. And I think that's important. But, as a counter-argument to this idea that Ticket to Ride is all luck, um, me and Johnny, who still needs to be on the show, we're not going to be friends anymore. But me and Johnny went to this board game. Actually, it's a comic book shop. And they were trying to promote board games. And believe it or not, at the time, I became known as the guy in the area who liked board games, or at least who talked about them a lot. That was probably mostly because Johnny talked to the owners about it, but they wanted me to help promote the games. And I just, I'm just socially awkward and weird about that kind of stuff, and I wish I wasn't, and I thought maybe now I could do a better job. But anyways, there was this guy in there who had played Ticket to Ride hundreds of times, hundreds of times, and he was very nice, very polite, not showboaty at all. We played a three-player game with him, and, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, Ticket to Ride, I love it, but it's a lot of luck. You know, we should have a good game here. He humiliated me and Johnny to the point that he might as well have been playing two-year-olds. <laughs> I mean, he ran literal circles around us on the scoreboard. He it just was, quietly swept in and destroyed you He didn't you say both. anything. He's like, oh, I think I'll just play here. I'm going to do this. He knew the game so well and the strategies of it that luck didn't matter to him anymore. Me and Johnny could have had the best luck possible, and he could have had the worst luck possible, and I'm convinced he still would have won because he knew where we were going before we went there. He knew if we did this, the chances we had these tickets. He mopped the floor with us, proving the ticket to ride is not mostly luck. But there's enough, like Michael Thompson's saying, to get back to that. I like it when there's enough, especially in a game that's like for families, to make it so everybody at least feels like they have a chance, you know. Um, because if a, a game like La Havre, which is a deep game that we will probably cover at some point once I get my head around it, it can leave you feeling pretty stupid when you just play badly. That's how I felt. We played it three times, or I played it once solo, and we played it twice. It, the third time we played it, left me feeling a little bit like a dummy. Like, the third time I played it, I should have known better. But I can't wait to get back to it. But at the same time, sometimes you need that luck factor to bring your your uh, ego back up a little bit. So Okay, I'm totally rambling now. I'm done. Goodbye. Last thing. Kelby usually mops the floor with us. We love you, Kelby. Speak for yourself. <laughs> no, it's true. It's <laughs> totally true. I don't... You brought it up. I think the reason I don't win most games... I'm going to make an excuse. You ready for it? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm like a squirrel when it comes to games. I can't stand <laughs> to just do the same thing over and over. So I'm always trying something new. I kind of think I'll try this. And it's usually just not a great idea. Like, you should just do what works. So, there's your pro tip. Goodbye.
What? What's your next last thing? I was just going to compliment you and say that oh, you're no, a very do graceful. Uh, if you do lose a game, you're very graceful about it, though. When you do something so. a lot, you better be good at it. <laughs> and I lose a lot, so. Well, you're usually also teaching games, and you were you win your fair share of games. So. Well, thank you. That's all I wanted to hear. That's the whole reason for this podcast is to get built up like that. There you go. Anna, you're a great mother to our son. You keep me from hurting myself too badly. And uh, I appreciate you as a co-host. Bye. <laughs>